0: All right, well, hey, everybody, Uh, glad that you're with us at church, even though it's in your homes. You know, it's cool even that we meet in homes, because, you know, the early church, the Bible says they met in temple courts, but they also met from house to house, so that's what we're doing right now, and we're excited that we're worshiping together. Of course, I uh, want to remind you, uh, a little bit later today, uh, we are having a picnic there off of our patio on the grass. We're hanging out. We're celebrating Pastor Steve and Jean. so make sure that you come out because they're two incredible people. Now, Pastor Steve already mentioned, we have been in this series called Transition. We've really been talking about how do you relay leadership well? And if you remember, just over the last few weeks, we've talked about several different things. We've talked about the history of North Point and where we've come from. We've talked about uh, the purposes, and uh, the purposes are really the things that drive our style and our methods. Uh, We've paid tribute, as you know, to our leaders that have been our leaders. Pastor Steve just mentioned for 30-some years and how they've led us with such integrity and humility and uh, tremendous wisdom, my goodness, and a whole lot of love. And so today, what I want to do is I just want to shift gears and talk to you over the next two weeks about the principles that should be guiding our church. Or probably I'd say it this way. I want to talk to you about the charge or the calling that we've received as a church. What is the standard that we ought to be living up to as a church? And to be clear, by church, I mean the people. Who are we supposed to be? Uh, what has God called us to, all of us, individually and corporately. And so if you don't have your notes, maybe you've printed them at home, but if you just grab those and look at this first little passage of scripture there, it looks just like this. If you just take a look at those, because Paul, as he nears the end of his ministry, he gives a charge to Timothy. And I want for you to see what he says. He says, but you, Timothy, you certainly know what I teach and how I live, and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, and my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. He's saying, Timothy, you've observed me. And then he says, and yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But look around you, he says, because there are evil people, and imposters, and They're going to flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you can trust the one who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in the Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to say this about the scripture, and it's a great word for all of us. Notice he says, all scripture is inspired by God, and all scripture is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're doing wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses the scripture to prepare and equip his people. Now, friends, that's you and me, (laughs) the church. God uses this, and he He trains us to do every good work, he says. And then he moves into chapter four here, and look what he says. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom. Watch this. Here's what you're to do. Here's what I'm to do. He says, preach the word of God. Be prepared, he says. Whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct and rebuke and encourage your people with good teaching, which is what I hope to do. He says, you see, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Listen to this. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. And he says to the church, he says to Timothy, and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Now, there are observations that I want to make over the next two weeks, and I'm really going to be doing a two-part message out of what Paul is saying here. And what Paul is doing is he's emphasizing two great themes. And the first is he's talking about a distinct lifestyle that he expects God's followers to have, that our lifestyle should reflect something of the image of God, what God is like, what God values, what God wants. And in that way, if you just write down this first major theme, what he's saying is is that we as the church are to be God's image bearers. His image bearers. In fact, uh, you you just know Paul says to Timothy, but you, Timothy, you know what I teach and you know how I live. You know what purpose my life has had. See, it's, it's a lifestyle and the lifestyle is distinct from culture. The lifestyle that believers are to have are to look different. They're to feel different because they are different. Paul looks at Timothy and he says, You have been taught the holy scriptures, and they have given you the wisdom to receive Christ Jesus. And when you receive Christ Jesus, your life looks different, because it is different. Paul is saying it's a lifestyle. And it's a lifestyle, by the way, you just remember, he says, that might provoke you to get persecuted. He says, you know how much persecution and suffering I have had to endure. And then he says, for all those following in the future church, he says, and everyone who wants to live a godly life, it's going to cost them something because they're going to suffer persecution in the name of the Christ, who is Jesus. That's a huge calling. But he says that's what the church is to be. In fact, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in the letter to the, to the Corinthians. Notice this. He says, our lives are to be like a, a christ fragrance that rises up to God. In fact, you might just underline Christ-like because what it's saying is, is, is that we're to remind people of who he is. You know, I heard it illustrated this way. If you look at a stone, for example, like the one you see here, a stone is incapable of reflecting back to me the light that, that, that is coming into it, but if you compare a stone to a mirror... A mirror, it has a nature that it's built in such a way that it can reflect back to me the light that comes into it. Now, on a small scale, on a one-dimensional scale or a two-dimensional scale, but it reflects back the light that comes in. And what God is saying when he says you're his image bearer, he says you're not like a stone. He says you're to be like a mirror. And you're supposed to be reflecting back the light that God breathes into you and gives you. That's the first big theme that that Paul is dealing with in this passage. But here's the second theme that Paul is communicating, that we're not just image bearers, but we're also message sharers. In other words, there is a very specific message that God wants delivered, and he's told us what that message is. In fact, you just remember, just looking back on the scripture we've just read, he says, Timothy, you know what I teach. He says, and you've got to remain faithful to the things that you've been taught, because they're true. So he says, Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared and be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. He says the time is coming when they're no longer gonna wanna listen to wholesome and sound teaching. They're gonna follow their own desires and they're gonna actually look for teachers that tell them what they wanna hear. Now friends, we're living in that day to day. You know that's true. Where people just follow whatever, Whatever they want to hear, or they're listening to the teachers that tell them what they already think, Paul says be very careful of that. Work at telling others the good news. Why? Because we're not just image bearers. We're also message sharers. So over the next couple weeks, that's what we're talking about. So here's what I want to do the rest of our time here today. I want to talk to you about what it means to be an image bearer. What does it mean to reflect back the image of God to the world? So if you just write these things down, I'm going to cover four things as quickly as I can. What does it mean to be an image bearer? Again, write this down. Here's the first one. To be an image bearer means that your lifestyle actually becomes gospel-oriented. What do I mean? I mean that the gospel literally changes everything about your life and your disposition. It should. If it hasn't, I'd encourage you to think about that. When Paul says, but you, Timothy, you certainly know what I teach. And Timothy, you know how I live. Why do you think that is exactly? Well, it's because he's heard the gospel. And Paul says, it's changed my life. In fact, he says, everything has changed. It's not just a message I've heard. It's actually changed how I live from day to day. Powerful thing. You know, one of Martin Luther, the great reformer, Martin Luther, one of his favorite uh, mottos was, you can see it on the screen here. He says, we're saved by faith alone, but it's never a faith that should remain alone. Now, why does he say that? He says that because the gospel should be doing something in your life that actually changes your behavior. It leads you into a different kind of lifestyle. It's always changing you. Now, why is that? Well, it's because a great uh, theologian by the name of Leslie Newbigin, she puts it this way, and it's powerful. I want for you to see this, what she says. She says, it's because the Christian story provides us with such a set of lenses, not something for us so much to look at, but something for us to look through. And what happens is our whole orientation to life gets adjusted. Now, what is the gospel that changes our whole orientation? It's, it's this, it's news. In fact, the word gospel just means news, but it's not just news, the gospel is joy news. In fact, joy news, it comes from the word euangelion in the Greek, and it's this idea that it is this good news filled with contagious blessing that unleashes new life. What's that news exactly? What's well, the news? That Jesus who is the Christ, has come, and he's become flesh, demonstrating that he knows what it's like, by the way, to be a person. He knows what it's like to be born in total vulnerability. He knows what it's like to struggle and be tempted. He knows what it's like to have pain. Jesus demonstrates in his life that he knows about loss. Jesus knows about stress. He knows about suffering. He knows about anxiety. See, Jesus knows all of our burdens, but he wasn't crushed by our burdens. The scripture says he never sinned, but he lived his life perfectly. And then in his perfection, the Bible says he became the perfect and ultimate unblemished sacrifice. So that he only could bear the full weight of our sin, of my sin, and of your sin, and the sin of all of humanity. And in his death was the perfect atonement that that gives us peace with God once and for all. And God proved it because, you see, the scripture goes on to say about this news that at a specific point in history, God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. And he is the perfect mediator between God and man. He is the only mediator between God and man. Today you're sitting at home or or you're somewhere and I'm saying to you, if you want to be right with God, it is only through Jesus. The scripture says, and friends, I'm just going to say to you, I don't know how this completely works because it's supernatural in nature because, see, when you trust in this event, when you trust in this news and you believe it to be the thing that saves you, well, Paul talks about it like this. He says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it's actually power of God. And it's the power of God that works for a salvation and it works inside every person who believes. In other words, Paul's describing it like this this power that is working within you. And so he says in another letter to the Colossians, watch this, he says, the preaching of this truth, this gospel, it produces, notice, effects. And it produces, increases, within you, that that again, it's kind of mystery, but there is something literally about the news of the gospel working into somebody's life, this grace of God that produces something. In fact, in the book of Titus, which comes after Timothy, Paul again says, it teaches us not to live against God nor to do evil things that the world wants us to do. Instead, this gospel, this grace, it teaches us, how to live now in a wise and right way that shows us how we can serve God. Image bearers. It's the gospel that teaches you how to be that. Now, I just want to take a minute and, and I kind of want to do a mini sermon within a sermon. I know, big surprise. I just want to take a minute here and talk to you about exactly how the gospel does that. What is it about the gospel that has such an effect on the life of a person. And as I go through these things, here's what I want to say. If you're watching this, and as I say these things, you notice that they are changes that God has made in your life, I want to hear about it. I'd love for you to write me just a brief testimony and say, I've, I've changed that way. And I want you to email me at pastorshane at northpoint.org because I just want to start collecting your stories and hearing how, what God's done in your life. And I'm going to name some specific things. And if you say, "Now I relate to that one, you just send me a little note and you just tell me how it's happened. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to share your stories in writing or in some way with other people. But how does the gospel change your life? Here's the first thing I'd say. If you just write this down again in your notes. The gospel changes your life because the first thing it does is it changes the way you see yourself. Why? Because, see, the gospel says, if I could just put it this way, the gospel says, in a nutshell, that you and I are more wrecked than we realized, but we're also more loved than we ever dared believe. That's really what it teaches you. That's the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel is, you are actually more wicked than you thought you were but you're more loved than you ever dared hope. That's what God says. The prophet Isaiah, when he encounters God, what is the first thing that he says about himself? He says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people who are unclean. By the way, the prophet Isaiah, he was a prophet. He was a spokesperson for God his lips were the best thing about him because they were how he earned his vocation. And yet he says, even my best is gross before God. But he realizes at the same time, God loves me anyway. And all of a sudden you see that it's not that I'm all that or that I've got anything good, but it's that God's love is so good and it begins to change you. Now, it doesn't just change the way you see yourself, but the gospel changes the way you begin to see others. Why? Because it's only in the gospel that suddenly you realize that all people are made in the image of God. All people of every ethnicity, of every background, every skin color, every one of them is made in the image of the creator. And so you look at other people all over the world, all other nationalities, and you say that person has inestimable value because they are a figure of who God is. And so all people are to be loved and esteemed and cared for greatly. It does other things. The gospel changes your view of religion. If you just write that down, you say, well, what do you mean? Well, I mean because every other religion in the world teaches you to believe that you have to earn God's blessing by doing good works on the outside. That if you live your life a particular way that God's going to grant you access into heaven or nirvana or some place of great beauty and blessing, as long as you live well here, you can expect God to bless you. But the gospel completely reverses it because the gospel says, no, there's no good thing you could do. You are utterly wicked, but because God loves you so much, if you would trust in what he did, He will come and make his home within you, and then he will begin to change you from the inside out. You're not changed. You don't live changed to be saved. You're changed because you are saved, because God has done something significant. It changes your whole view of religion. What else does the gospel do? The gospel changes your values. Write that down. There's so much more I could say, but this is the last thing I will say. And what I mean by that is that God's blessing, it it sort of works backward. In fact, when I was in college, uh, when I was in uh, Bible school, uh, one of the books that I read was called The Upside-Down Kingdom because God's kingdom really is sort of upside down. When you know the gospel at once where you valued your life on the basis of your financial success or your career success or your status or your professional success. Now, because of the gospel, suddenly you're oriented to a whole new way of measuring yourself. You're oriented to things that Jesus say. For example, when Jesus said, not so among you, he says, whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant. And whoever wants to be first must become your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what you find is that the Holy Spirit, who has now taken up residence in you on the basis of your trust, has changed your whole orientation, and he's shaping you in a whole new way. By the way, friends, if I could just have your attention for just a minute. It's exactly this Christian theology and ethic that has guided every decision as to why we serve people through this period of COVID. It's why we're not saying anybody's taken away our rights. We've given up our rights to love people. Why? Because this is the ethic of Jesus. I don't care what anybody says. If you're to be a Christian, this is the way you live. You live like Jesus lived, loving others and putting their needs first. And what happens is it's miraculous because God begins to change you and you actually become an exceptional person because you begin to bear the marks of Jesus and reflect something of who he is. If you've been around North Point for any length of time, you know that uh, one of my favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. And you've probably heard me say this quote before. It's one of my favorite quotes, but he puts it this way. He says, because of God's work in you, God is gonna make the feeblest and the filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. We will be a bright and stainless mirror which reflects back to God his own boundless power and delight and goodness. That is what we're in for and nothing less. And that's the work that God wants to do inside you. Why? Because you're his image bearer. And you have a gospel orientation. It's driving you differently. And the Holy Spirit is working in you, but out through you to bring hope into the world. Now, you're gospel-oriented. That's my longest point, so that's good news. But let me give you the last few here. What else does it mean to be an image-bearer? Well, not only are you gospel-oriented, but you find in your life you become radically generous. That's one of the things that begins to change because it begins right here. See, Jesus came into the world, and it says, for God so loved the world, what does it say? He gave. And so you realize that, and you look at what he was willing to do, and it melts you, and it moves you, and it motivates you. Because you come to know the love of God, and of course, we all know John three sixteen, but... John writes a letter in his epistle, and so have you heard 1 John three sixteen, where he describes what happens as a result. Look at what he says. He says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and notice this, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods, or is wealthy in other words, and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, He says, how does the love of God actually abide in him? Why? Because if the love of God abides in you, friend, you're an image bearer. And you will see that reflected out of your life. If you're not seeing it reflected out of your life, I'd urge you to ask the question, why? What is stopped up in my heart that is preventing God from doing an authentic gospel work that he wants to do? You've got to ask yourself that question as a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you should be saying, boy, I want that ethic because it's attractive to live for others and not for myself. You know, the other day, I was talking to my friend Garrett, Garrett Watkins, about this, and this is a picture of his family, that I I asked his permission to just uh, show them because we talk a lot. By the way, if you don't know me very well, I am a big nerd. Um, I love Star Wars. I love everything Disney. And so Garrett is a big nerd too. And so we have this in common. So right now we're constantly texting each other about the Mandalorian TV show, if you're into that show. And we spend time talking all the time about things that are going on. So we were talking the other day and I just thanked him again because the dude is just generous. I'm constantly hearing about him and his wife and kids. They're constantly blessing individuals and they're blessing families and they've blessed our church in significant ways. And so I asked him, I said, Garrett, what is it that God's done in your heart in such a way that you give so much? Because I'm, I'm not going to go into the details, but this is a family that gives an awful lot. And so I said, what, what has God done in your heart? And you know what scripture came to mind? Scripture that came to mind in talking to him, you'll see it coming up on the screen. It's where Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven, you see, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then he went in joy and sold all that he had and bought that field. Or he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant that's looking for fine pearls. And we found one of great value. He went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And friends, I'm going to say this kind of internal motivation that causes you to abandon everything you had for something else. This really is a good description of my friend Garrett and his family. And so I just asked him, Garrett, what has God done in your heart that's made you become this way? And I want to read to you what he said, because I said, can you email that to me? He said he would. Here's his testimony. Garrett said, being generous doesn't just happen. It's something that happens over time when you start to read the word of God and understand that God tells us to be generous to people over and over again. The Bible says, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. If you've ever seen someone in need, felt felt a prompting to help that person, and decided it's not my problem, then you're well aware of the struggle. Garrett said, if we give cheerfully, we gain more than we have now. It doesn't mean that we should do it for our own self-interest, but it means that we are returning to God what is rightfully his. We're learning to trust the Holy Spirit's intentions when he nudges us in a great way, to be an example to others, that you love God, he says, and not money, especially if you've been blessed with more than you need. He said the struggle to give or not to give is very real because we're raised to save all of our money. Being overly generous seems foolish, but you have to remind yourself that God has given us all that we have. And and I love what he says here. I'm just gonna read this to you a little bit further. He says, it's not how much you give or how much you earn that matters. It's knowing that giving is a privilege and that God gives you the ability to share what you have. Giving money shouldn't make you uncomfortable. It should make you happy. Now listen to this. I love this because it goes back to exactly what we're teaching today. He says, I believe the word forgive when broken down also means for." And give, or giving to others. The act of giving unconditionally is very much a sacrifice similar to how Christ's death was was a necessary sacrifice so that we could find his unconditional love. Giving your possessions, your money, your time, your talents to others is like throwing a boomerang. He says it will always come back to you. He says, Shane, he tells me this. He says, Shane, your last breath here is your first breath there. And I believe that God rewards those in heaven who have given. You see what's happening here in this family's life? It's a gospel orientation, and it just it, it just changes everything. Why? Paul says to Timothy, because you've been taught the scriptures, and they've given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes. By the way, I'm in this conversation with... Uh, with Garrett, and we're talking about it. And so he's asking me, hey, what's going on at the church? And so I start to tell him, well, one of the things we're excited to do, I said, is, uh, if you know what our venue is it's a building that we have and yeah there's a picture of it right there I said we're going to take that venue and we want to completely retrofit into the to a cafe because we want to have gospel conversations with it and we want to be doing things with it and we want it to be a place where like I have this vision of you know people are going to our peace center where they're being clothed and where they're uh they're getting their needs met whatever it is they're getting job orientation training or they're getting whatever needed is met met. And then somebody can say to them after they meet that need, you know what, let's go over to the cafe. I'm gonna buy you a cup of coffee. And it's in that place that they can sit with them and, and uh, just share Jesus with them and share the hope of Christ with them. Love of Jesus. I said, man, I want the venue to be transformed into that. And so you can see the the picture here. Now, this picture that they just put up, just stay with me. Don't go ahead of me if you don't mind. But there's a picture here of, uh, of you'll notice, uh, this is our cabanas for our baptism. This is a side view of our venue. But our Uh, Pastor Kyle, our worship pastor, he's a bit of an artist, so he began to draw pictures. We want to transform this area into an area that actually has a roll-up door so that as you leave church and you walk out to the patio, you literally get to walk into the entrance of the cafe because what we want is we want for people that come to know Jesus in church, especially once we're all past this COVID stuff, that literally you can say, let me take you and buy you a cup of coffee and tell you personally how Jesus has changed my life. That's a side view over there. It's pretty awesome. And then if you've been around North Point for any length of time, you'll know that uh, we've just built some offices. So this next picture you'll see is a picture of the back of our our venue. Uh, But then you'll see the corner of our new offices there. But that's, you can't tell from the picture, but it's a wide open space there. And uh, so just look what Pastor Kyle's done in a vision that we've got. We're gonna turn that open area into a little courtyard so that people can have outdoor conversations right behind the cafe. So it's gonna be a big space for people. You can do meetings. Here's a picture of the inside of our current venue that you can see there, but just look how it'll be transformed into a place where you're gonna take people. And I just love this one. In fact, this is my favorite from this angle of the, of the, go ahead and go to this next picture of the current venue. You remember we just had the big pumpkin giveaway. They were in there at the time. And then just watch it get transformed here into just a beautiful place where, man, we're meeting with people. You know, we have lots of spaces on our campus to hold meetings, But this is a place where gospel conversations are gonna be happening. We want them to happen every day of the week. Now, you know, I started, I didn't send Garrett, let's go back to Garrett and his family. I start telling them just about these ideas and just walking people on our campus. And so I'm just telling a little bit about what we're doing first thing out of his out of his mouth is, oh, well, we gotta be a part of that. He said, I'm not just gonna send you my testimony, but I'm gonna send you a gift. It's gonna be a seed to get this thing started. And I mean, this is completely unsolicited, but, but I'm just telling you, it's because he's got a gospel orientation. And he said, man, for the kingdom, I'm gonna sell everything I own and go after this because God's done something significant. Why? Because you're radically generous. That's what... That's what being an image bearer means. Here's the third thing it means write this down. It means that you become active in your pursuit of holiness. You become active in the pursuit of personal holiness. What's holiness? Holiness means that you want to you begin to live your life the way that God wants you to live. You want to please Jesus with your thoughts, with your body, with your mind. And with your heart, you start getting hungry to make decisions the way that Jesus did. Now, this is what happens when the Holy Spirit begins to work in you. By the way, the Bible says, I know I've said this before, but let's be clear. When you trust in the news of the gospel, the joy news, the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence within you. It means that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, literally. Not just helped by the Holy Spirit. You're not just inspired by the Holy Spirit. Listen, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 5 says that God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. And later in this same letter, he says, you know, God did this so that we could be the kind of people that the law correctly wants us to be. In other words, to live the way that God's always wanted human beings to live. To live the human experience the way that God created it to be lived. He says, now, we don't live following our sinful selves, but we live following the who? The Spirit. You, if you're a Christian, are ruled by the Spirit. If that spirit of God really lives in you. And by the way, over and over and over again, it says that that's what it means to become a Christian, that the spirit of God is living in you. And it, and it just creates in you this active pursuit to be like Jesus. Oh, friends, yesterday I was praying for you I was over at our new office, which, which are just wonderful, by the way, and so I'm on our campus, which is the first time in our history that you know we have built offices here uh, that are made for, for work in here, and so I walked out, and I noticed there was a Bible study going on, uh, just literally across from my office in what we call the lounge, and you can see it here. This is just yesterday morning, and the lounge was filled with all these men. If you just look at this picture, they just opened up to God's word, and I walk in, and I just stood in the back, and, Uh, They they hardly noticed I was there. They were enmeshed in conversation. And you know, all they were talking about is, how do we live like Jesus wants us to live? How do we be the men that God has called us to be? Why? Because that's what the Holy Spirit begins to do in your life. And all of a sudden, you notice you start to develop different appetites and different hungers for the things that God wants you to, to live for because you're an image bearer. That's holiness. And then write down this four things. Last thing, and then we'll be done. What does it mean to be an image bearer? What are we aiming for as a church? North Point? Well, you become enthusiastic to communicate hope to people. You're hungry to do it. See, look, let's go back to the letter. This is why Paul says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or whether it's not favorable because an image bearer wants to communicate hope. In fact, in chapter four, he says a little bit later, he says, it's for this we labor and strive because we fixed our what? Our hope on the living God who is the savior of all men. Now, you know this word hope, you might just underline it. Or this word hope, you might just circle it. Because you know what hope means in the Greek? It's really interesting. Hope in the Greek actually means certainty. Now, that sounds strange because in the English, it doesn't mean certainty at all. In English, hope actually means uncertainty. For example, if you were to ask me, Pastor Shane, do you think we're going to get all the money to renovate that cafe? I would say to you, I hope so. And what by hope so that means is, I don't have a clue. I don't know. We're gonna, we're gonna hope, we're gonna believe, but I'm not sure. But whenever you read this in the Greek, by the way, this is one of the problems with English translations of the New Testament. It's one of the worst things because the Bible doesn't always say what it means or means what it says. It always means what it means. And sometimes you've gotta study it and dig in. But this word hope in the Greek, it actually means a, usually an absolute certainty that you really believe God for it. And that's what he's saying. We've placed certainty on the living God. Now, people that are image bearers, they take that certainty, that belief that they have, and they want to spread it to others. They want to tell people about it. You know, guys, I'm almost done, but i got to tell you this story. <laughs> A few months ago, uh, Pastor Steve were on stage because we announced this transition, and, and one of the things he asked me right at the conclusion of the messages, he says, so what do you see in the future in North Point? Of course, at that time, we talked about the venue and its transformation into a cafe for gospel conversations and, and that kind of vision. We talked about other things. But one of the things that's been deep on our heart here as a pastoral staff at North Point is I said, I want to see us go multi-site. In other words, I want to see us plant churches and just, and just video the messages into other locations all over the valley, so that we can reach more people because it's statistically proven. if you, you will reach more people if you plant more things. That's why Starbucks has a Starbucks on every corner because they know that's how they'll make more money. Well, the same is true of evangelism. If you plant more things, you will reach more people. And so I shared that. I didn't know at the time that there were a couple of people watching in their home because of COVID listening to this, and when they heard me say, we're going to do, do a multi-site and we want to plant venues. They literally took me at my word. And so literally since then, in the last three months, they have retrofitted their barn because they're viewing our services anyway because of COVID. And they retrofitted their barn and put up a TV. And you can just see a picture of it here. And what they've done is they've decided to start inviting friends. And by the way, don't, don't go on in the pictures anymore until I tell you, but there are three families that are spearheading this. And I asked him, I said, why do you want to do a multi-site in Kerman? Why why is it that you want to do that? And how did God lead you in that decision? And I want to read to you what one of the the people said. Her name is Kara. She said, God has put it in our heart to invest where we live. The longer we are here and involved, the greater our love for the people in the town. She said, three years ago, Olivia and I, and Olivia is one of the other women who's, who she, she and her husband are involved in this. She said, Olivia and I took a coaching do- job at Kerman High School, and we could see such a need for Jesus in our youth. With the help and support of our husbands, we started a Bible study out of our home. And I can feel God to start to plant seeds and the desire to invest in a ministry in a church in Kerman. So our families decided we'd start praying fervently. <laughs> Paul describes in the scripture, in Romans 5, 5 again, he says, you remember, he says, God has poured out his love in our hearts. He gave us his love through his Holy Spirit. Well, that's what you see happening in this story here, in their life. And what happens is that love begins to get directed at other people. And look what she recalls. She says, in 2013, now going way back, she says, we moved to Kerman. She says, I remember parking on the corner of a country road, peering across to the home, and I saw our shop and our dairy. I sat there a long time, and I prayed that if God would call us here, that there would be a revival in Kerman. Confirmation through circumstances and prayer, we moved back, and we've continued to be praying since 2013 for our city. Now, where'd that, where'd that prayer, where'd that desire come from? Romans 5.5, God has poured out his love into our hearts. He gave us his love through the Holy Spirit. See, that's how it works. Now, let's fast forward again from 2013 to that day. Pastor Steve and I were up here. It says, the following day, we all tuned in separately to North Point Service announcing that Shane would be the next head pastor. It was then that he announced that a vision for ministry would be to consider a multi-site church campus we were all instantly on the phone, excited and driven with the confirmation of our prayers as to how to move forward and with whom. And in fact, this picture that you see uh, up here on the screen are the families. In fact, we went out there to the barn and, and uh, we all held our breath for a picture because we wanted you to see our smiles. <laughs> because, but you can see there, uh, these are some of the families that are involved in this. And she says, since we've pursued this road, the Lord has opened doors that could only be opened by him. We're praying for a revival in Kerman and for the Holy Spirit to spread like wildfire like he did in the early church of Acts. We're excited, we're nervous, but we're willing to see what the Lord has in store. Guys, look at some of these pictures again. Just take a look at these. Let's go to the next one. Just show, you can see they've started leading worship and they're inviting friends to come in. Go ahead and go to that next picture for me. I mean, God's just doing an awesome thing because these families that you see right here have said, we want God to make a difference. Kara says, when we were overwhelmed with the amount of time and effort the church would take on our dairy, because they do full-time dairy. <laughs> they're busy people. She said, Cody's teacher texted me this little note, and here's what their son Cody said. Think of the example they're setting for their kids. Cody said, he talks about the Bible and listening to the Lord, and he says, and pray for my mom because she invites people to learn about the Lord. And trust that the Lord will open the church to teach about the Lord and remember it in your heart so that you will succeed. Out of the mouth of babes. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does when you're an image bearer. Guys, this is gonna be an awesome thing. By the way, last weekend, by the way, I wanna give a shout out to Kerman because they're watching right now. Hey, Kerman, we're excited about what God's doing in you. We're excited to be a part of it. But I'm going to tell you, this thing that God is doing over there, last weekend, they sent me a text. They said, Shane, we've had 50 people show up today. They've already got 50 people. It's just inviting people into an old barn that they've retrofitted with a television set. And so we're going to come alongside them. And this will probably be our first multi-site campus that we're going to do, Kerman North Point, North Point Kerman, however you want to say it. But it's going to be a cool thing. That's what it means to be an image bearer. (laughs) What is it that God wants to do? Let's close with this last verse and then I'm going to pray. The Bible says this, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you, his church, holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Let me stop right there for just a minute. Friend, you may be watching this today and you're saying, I want to be free from accusation. I want to be holy in God's sight. You want that? God wants to give that to you. All you have to do is trust the news, the joy news that what Jesus did enough is for you. You invite the Holy Spirit to come and indwell you and you'll begin to see him change you because he wants you to be his image bearer. You might be watching this today and you'd say, you know, I've done that before, but I'm finding, I'm not reflecting the image of God. I'm gonna tell you why that is. If you're not reflecting the image of God in your Christian life, it's because somehow in your life you're no longer facing him you've turned and faced something else. See, a mirror can only reflect what it faces. You may be a mirror and you have all the qualities to reflect Jesus, but if you're not facing Jesus, you're not gonna reflect his image. And a mirror in the dark is really no different than a stone. It might be a mirror, but if it's in the dark, there's no light to reflect off of it. So if you're watching this and you're a believer, I'm gonna say to you, what you have to do is you've gotta turn and face Jesus. And you've got to begin to say, Jesus, just let your light shine in me and through me because I'm meant to reflect something of who you are. It's time to turn back to God. And look at what the scripture says. It says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not move from the certainty or the hope held out in the gospel, this is a gospel that you heard, and it has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So have I, and hopefully so have you, because God wants to do a great thing in you. Let me lead us in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for every individual that's watching here. Thank you for our church family, the thousands of people that tune into this. And Watch this. I pray, God, you would do something significant in their life. I pray, God, that you would powerfully move in their hearts like never before, that they would know you intimately, and they would be fired up. I pray that you would stoke the flame in their heart, and that you'd birth within us a hunger like never before for your word, for prayer, for walking with you. God, thank you for them. Bless them and be with them. We pray. We love you so much, Jesus in your precious name. And everyone said, amen.